Hello, everyone, and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG-related. I am your host, Matthew, and unfortunately, I am down one co-host, but I still have my other one, Scott. Tell your children not to walk my way. Yeah, don't walk his way. No, don't it. Mother. Mother, yeah. Um, um, Ryan could not make it. He is not sick. He, he was just well, not... He's got no voice, so... Yeah, he, he had no voice. He wasn't, like, sick. He just did a lot over the weekend because he was LARPing. Yeah, you know what? You know, he doesn't listen to these. Who the fuck goes to a LARP in the middle of a pandemic? Ben? <laughs> well, they hadn't canceled it. Well, we're yeah, going to get who, into who that. Who the fuck doesn't cancel their LARP in the middle yeah. of a pandemic? Well, that's that's what they did. Yeah. Um, as we've already alluded to, many, many social gatherings for gamers have pretty much shut down. Um, across the country, uh, the United States, and I'm sure all over the world. Um, but so we wash your hands, yeah, isolate well, yourself. Hand sanitizer, use soap, uh, keep away from people. If yep. you uh, can, if you can afford to, to not go into work or if you can work from home, do it. Yep, please. Um, this, will, this will only help in the long run, I promise. It sucks. Uh, I mean, uh, the thing that sucks the most for us is that in plain sight, the, the yep. vampire dwarf that we've been talking about for months uh, yep. got canceled. We were going to do an interview with them, yep. uh, and they just they you know they they had some other things to deal with at the time. Yeah, um, and and they they are planning to they're postponed. They didn't cancel. Yeah. They postponed it. They are actively working on rescheduling, probably in a few months. Yeah, when, um, whenever my, whenever the all clear is sounded. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a little while. People gonna are going to have bit. to be com- comfortable with the slightly new normal for a little while because this is going to take a bit. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to get too too much into it, but I have a platform here, so I'm just going to say it uh, as succinctly as I can. Remember this when you vote. Yes, yes. Uh, remember what uh, what president gutted the uh, our response for this sort of thing, and evaluate who you think can handle and restore and expand upon our capacity to deal with this sort of thing the best when it comes time to vote for the primary and the uh, general. The general. Uh, and don't forget you brought your Senate and House races either. Don't forget yeah, about those. Do not That's forget important. about the down ballot because yeah. um, uh, this sort of this sort of uh, massive dysfunction doesn't happen without uh, collusion from the legislative branch. Yeah. So, regardless, we're not here to talk about bemoan nope, politics. I, I, I had to get that out because it's important uh, nope. and it's impactful. You you are welcome to say so. I'm sure we'll have, once we get Ryan back on here for Patreon content, I'm sure we'll go into a lot more specifics. But regardless, gaming-wise... How's your gaming been? I know we're, we've already said that we're, we're losing out a little bit. We're losing out a little bit. Uh, it's stuff that was going to happen. Uh, stuff that, that uh, let's see, uh, Ack Inc. Uh, went well last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we got some, we're still working out the kinks as far as some, some, some technical issues, but the game itself is going fine. I can't wait for you guys to see it and hear it and experience it. Um, Vampire is good. We're probably going to be taking a break this week uh, because we are onboarding a new fourth player. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to have sort of a session 0.5 with him uh, and, you know, just bringing his character up to speed with the rest of the character, helping him finish the character creation. And just so is that going to be live or is that going to no, be? No, it's not going to be live. I'm going to record it mm-hmm. uh, and release it as a patron exclusive. Cool. Patron, patron content, everyone. Patron Absolutely. Content. Patron content. Gotta love it. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So that's been going. Uh, we had a little, I had 
a very nice board game night over at uh, our friend Indigo's uh, and uh, Abby's birthday party, uh, mm-hmm. which was very fun. Uh, I think I don't remember what you were up to, Matthew. Um, I wasn't. In, I think, not to get personal, I don't think I was invited. Uh, I can't say either one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and then we also had uh, we played uh, the Acquisitions Incorporated Clank uh, board game over at my house last weekend with you, Matt. With you. Yeah. That is. I'm so, included. Yay! That is so fun, dude. That was a lot more fun than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. No. It's it's like it it's very complicated, but it's also just ridiculously fun because it, it is. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, Ink tabletop experience. Yeah, because essentially for everyone out there, I've never played original Clank, but what Scott showed me was essentially it's a, it's a legacy game. So mm-hmm. as you play the game, you can make choices, and things will happen to you based on where you land, and that changes the rules and the board. And, mm-hmm. and it, every time you play, it's slightly, it, it's growing and changing. It has you destroy cards, like literally destroy cards. Yeah, that's, that's a hallmark of legacy games of like, you know, this thing no longer is a thing, so go ahead and destroy it. My favorite thing, because I won't go into too much, is literally there is a card, a deck of cards that we look down and it mm-hmm. says, when you see this, mm-hmm. do this thing. Not when you play the card, not when you pick it up, not when you activate it, but literally when you physically see this, while mm-hmm. you're playing, do this thing. Because it's, it's the kind of card that you just kind of ignore. Yeah, you're there's not, like a dozen copies of it. It's a dozen copies of it. It, it exists in a stack. Um, like you don't even shuffle this particular deck. Yeah. Because it's literally like 12 of the same card. It's a generic so, deck. It's, it's a, generic a generic deck. deck. It's the same card. It's, just, it's basically a stack of things that you can buy uh, if you don't want to buy anything that's like on the table. But it literally, it says, when you see this, go to the legacy book, the, the book of secrets, which all, all legacy games have something like this, just a big book of, of just numbered entries that change stuff and move things forward. And it literally, we took that entire stack of cards that was, that, that that particular card was in, destroyed them and replaced them with uh, cards that each, each of the 12 new cards now have unique mechanics. Yes. Like they've become more unique and interesting because we happened to see it. And I just loved it that because my buddy, good. our buddy, John looked down and said, Oh, it says literally when you read, when you read that, when you see this, mm-hmm. like, and we we're like, what does that mean? Does that no?" It's like, it says, when you see it, you do it. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was amazing. I just thought that was really slick and fun. Well, and, and the writing, especially in, in the book of secrets is it's, you know, it's penny arcade level writing. Yeah, just funny and quirky and strange. Yeah. Uh, so it, I mean, like we we keep saying that Jerry is our DM uh, for this game, and like we know he's gonna fuck us in a very Jerry way. Um, and and, it, 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 and it's a very fun game. Uh, we will give you guys updates when we play more of it because we're only on going into uh, session three, which means there's a lot more. There's a lot more to this game. There's gonna be a lot of things changing at, think, every time we play this game. I think the next time I play, I want to try streaming it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do it now. Yeah, yeah. We can absolutely do it now. Um, but yeah, I will, I will, I will. We will let you know if we if we put that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but as for anything else for gaming wise, 
Um, personal gaming, no, I think that's pretty good. Um, still working on trying to get my cast for uh, Aeon together, but there's a big old coronavirus-shaped. Uh, yeah, that's that's something we have to kind of consider when as we move forward. Mm -hmm. um, as for my gaming, most of the same. I did the Clank game, which was super rad. Obviously, I'm going to be playing Running Avernus again uh, this weekend. Now that they went through a giant, uh, previously they went through a giant clusterfuck of a fight it was super rad that now they get fight to... was awesome yeah that like, that was like a that was a fight from a movie because it was so dynamic and everyone was all over the place uh, uh it, was, it was rough that it was, was cool. not planned that's not part of like that's is part of the adventure but the way you guys that was entirely you guys because mm -hmm. you guys took a certain route and did certain things and i went what is the logical response mm -hmm. that these npcs would do when confronted with x y and z and i went it would go for help. They're not just going to fight. Yeah, no. Well, I'm, and, to, and to the death in toe-to-toe -to -toe combat if they can't we, win. We managed that as well. Like we picked off a guard that was running for help. Yeah. Uh, like we 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 hemmed them in when one part of the dungeon was aware of our presence, and it actually took a little bit for the main bad guy to make their way to the other part of the dungeon to get the rest of the dude. Yeah, because there was a part that they entirely avoided that had guards, essentially, and they were like, mm, we're just going to ignore that because we can just stealth past these guys. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll let you do that. And then, but I kept in my mind, like, they're there if anything should happen. And lo and behold, something happened because the PCs could not, they could fight really well and deal a lot of damage, but they could not control somebody's mm -hmm. movement. They, they didn't have that in the party. Because of that, this person was able to get away. And then they, then it, so one fight became basically a chain of like three fights, mm -hmm. and, but everyone at the end was like, that was amazing. That's great because no, it just was, turned into a giant thing. No, it was, it was cinematic. It was, it was a fight that you would see in a movie because yeah. it was so many different moving parts and yet they were distinct. Like there were distinct parts to it. And like these characters were dealing with this fight and those characters were dealing with that fight. And there was occasional crossover uh, between who was dealing I'm going to take notes in the future and be like, try to make, try to make fights like that or maneuver the fights in the book. So that they're not just straight up slogs. Sure. I want them to be punchy and I want them to be interesting. Now with the big fight over, now we can get to plot stuff. And this mm -hmm. is where you're going to start singing. Plot well, I'm wondering stuff. when we're going to get sucked into hell. Like that's okay. the, that's the big, uh, the you're big. very, very close. Mm -hmm. You're just not there yet. That, that's the sword hanging over our head. We all know what game we're playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, unfortunately it's, it, it this is a complaint about the the descent into Avernus. It feels kind of like two games. Like you got the first part and then everything mm -hmm. else. You're almost done with the first part, and then then you get to everything else. That's cool. I mean, it's good to have a prologue. It's good to get to know the characters when they're mm -hmm. in somewhat normal situations. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to getting getting on with that. That's been super fun. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate my desire. Put it out into the world. Wizards of the Coast. A Dragon High style game set in Sigil. <laughs> I would not be against that, man. Uh, but speaking of that, um, Wild Mount has released on D&D Beyond, and I think the physical book is out. Yeah, it's out in the world now. So you guys should be able to pick it up, um, which is really cool. It's got some, it's got a lot of reprints. Something I learned about today, it's got all of the, almost all the races, PC races, reprinted in the book hmm. with the addition of new stuff. So, it really has, if you want to try to get everything all at once, mm -hmm. you can get it pretty That's much out of that I'm, book. I'm willing to bet that there's some, some Adventurer's League uh, yeah. 
uh, reason for that. So if yeah. you want to like have like sub in the Wild Mount book for your player's guide and then use an additional book, on your, top yeah, of that. your plus one, yeah, your book book plus one. Um, it's probably very much, and then it introduces three new subclasses. I won't go into a lot of detail. I don't know all the details, but that's what they're. Um, the other big news that we've got is we told you the Fantasy Flight games was no more. Mm-hmm. However, news has come out recently that more than likely a different arm uh, as Asmodee, which is the uh, company that bought uh, Fantasy Flight games, is moving all of their IP over to this other green, uh, they're called uh, Edge Entertainment, uh, which handled a lot of their European like translations. Mm-hmm. They have ba- basically they've acquired all the Star Wars rights, all of the Genesis stuff. Um, everything they were basically working on. So we are still going to see prints and new books from this company. They're just not going to cool. be fantasy flights, just not handling it directly. Well, anymore. hopefully they, they transition some people uh, from, mm-hmm. from departments to, to, so that they can continue working on the stuff. Which I'm really happy because I really enjoyed the Genesis system and I like Star Wars. So it, I'm very happy that it found a, it's still basically kind of in house and it's still moving forward. Oh, something that happened a, a bit ago that I don't think we, we've covered on the podcast yet, uh, sort of revisiting an old topic, uh, is that the Kickstarter union uh, effort has succeeded. Yep. Uh, that the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter United uh, movement the, the, had got what they wanted. I'm uh, not entirely sure exactly how much of what they got what they wanted, but they are an official union. They are recognized by the company and, and, and all uh, legitimate authorities. So that is a cool thing. I'm yes. pro-union. Uh, there's an interview out there that I haven't listened yet that I should probably download on my phone to listen <laughs> to, to that will probably have more details. But we will have a link to that interview in the show notes. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And speaking of interviews, we're done with the news. And we're oh, about yeah. to go. I, I, what time is it, Scott? It's, um, it's getting close to midnight. Ugh. It's two minutes to midnight. Two minutes to midnight. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, as we'll explain, we have a great interview with Gemini Studios, uh, with Mr. James Davy, Mr. Yep. Jim Beverly, and Mr. Lucas Ryan. Yes, uh, who were they were a delight to interview. Just yeah, a, they just a peach. Yeah, they were great. They came up with some cool insights. They we talk about the art, which doesn't actually happen a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, on our show or any show, they don't talk about the how art and art influences the world. The Kickstarter is still going on right now. It's got about 11 days, mm-hmm. 12 to 11 days right now. From uh, Actually, from when you're hearing it, probably more like 10. Yeah, um, pretty, getting pretty close. Yeah, so go back it. You'll link, obviously, in the show notes, link to a whole bunch of art. Please. Yeah, they, they've got some cool stretch goals, especially the, the Midnight in Appalachia one, which I think yep. would be a super cool one if they could get to. Um, so if you haven't back it, absolutely back it. It gets the polyhedron and simulacra stamp of approval. All right. Yeah. So everyone else, enjoy the interview. Hello, everyone. I'm with Scott, as well as three guests on the show this evening. I have James Davey, uh, Jay, Lucas Ryan, and Jim Beverly. And these three gentlemen make up the Midnight World crew. So hello, everyone. Hey, what's up? Hello. Hi. Welcome back to the show, James, and welcome, Jim and Ro- Lucas. Thanks yes, yes. Good to be here. Yeah. And let me be the first to say congratulations on your Kickstarter. You guys funded in under 24 hours. You guys did it. Yeah, we uh, 
I would love to say that the stress is over, but no. uh, in, in all of my, in all of my wonderful luck, I planned this right. in like the, you know, the middle point of a Kickstarter is the one that's always the hardest time. That's the, where your, your, your numbers start to dip and whatnot. But I, I had to do it right where the middle of this would be uh, during an international pandemic. So we're, <laughs> we're stressed, but we're, we're kicking we're still doing very good. We got a bunch more stretch goals to go. Some really great stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and if you guys haven't guessed, you've probably seen the show title. You you see James's name. You know what we're talking about. So James and crew have kickstarted the Midnight World, and they've done a great job. And so what, what we're going to do with this interview is talk about the Midnight World. Because, audience, you probably heard me, Scott, and Ryan talk about our Let's Play that we did for Simulacra Studios. And that was a lot of fun. It really so, was. It was a... It was a- Great uh, experience of the game. I think you guys have something really special going on mm-hmm. with it, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm real happy to see it getting the success that it's getting. I appreciate that. Um, we had a great time with you, and and we are always looking forward to recording more sessions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We will definitely set that up uh, as soon as possible. Uh, once um, the, you know the the COVID nineteen decides to stop being an asshole. <laughs> well, we can get around that with. Uh, you know, <laughs> technological it doesn't have to be at the table you know we have the power we have the power yeah. to do that but anyway yeah so uh i know you guys have done this to death on, on other podcasts but why don't you give us just the elevator pitch of the midnight world all right the elevator pitch of the midnight world let's see if i can remember it without referring to my document uh <laughs> it is a horror tabletop rpg that focuses on anxiety post-traumatic stress disorder and comorbid disorders in a world full of monsters that can be put away at the end of the game. Uh, So basically the idea is that we wanted to build a game where uh, we focused on mental health issues in a way that we felt was positive and compassionate and realistic, but also in a way that still felt like fantasy and still felt like something that you didn't have to take home with you once the game was over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that's my floor. I'm definitely going to check that Kickstarter out. You want it, you want you want monsters in a box? That's what the Midnight yeah. World's all about. That sounds good, man. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, we played it and we had a great great time with it. And I just think it was um it was very intriguing because uh, we all here are probably very familiar with the world that is very dark, and as such, we are familiar with the sort of the idea of what James and company are going for. But he brought it in a very new and interesting light because of not just the the mechanics, but also like the setting and like it being our world, but it actually has very stark differences. Like unlike the world of darkness that has like, Oh, it's the, our world, but it's just, there's shadowy stuff, supernatural stuff. And it's like, no, there's actually really straight up and down different things from that, that world and our world. I think primarily the one that, that most people immediately spot is that in the midnight world, uh, the sun never gets any brighter than it would on a badly overcast day here. Mm. Uh, but since everybody in that world has always been that way, as far as they know, nobody, in fact, they would be terrified if they ever saw the sun here. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. Let's pull back the curtain a little bit. Why did you make that decision to make that sort of stark distance from the world, uh, from our world? Uh, so the, the primary reason that we wanted to do to, 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 to key in on certain, you know, very, very, like you said, stark differences is that 
there will be people who play our game who actually have anxiety disorders and PTSD and depression and who may actually be harmed by overly realistic depictions, um, by, by overly immersive experiences like this. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to kind of just, just pop in a couple of things that will reground you if that immersion starts to get to be too much. Um, help you remember that this is fantasy and that this is not intended to cause you actual harm. Uh, but primarily uh, just because we thought it was cool. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the best excuse. Um, cool. That's very interesting. So uh, you've been releasing some pretty good, uh, very evocative art pieces. Uh, and I believe that is a Mr. Ryan's apartment. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little about the art and sort of the, the direction that you're taking that aspect of the game. Of course. Um, I mean, this is what got me excited working. Well, I mean, I've, I've known James for a long time. I got to meet Jim through this, uh, this project and, uh, I've, I've been very fascinated with the, uh, the idea of this being a very, um, uh, a very human and, um, Oh, I want to figure out how, how I want to phrase this. Um, that, your reactions to things and how you deal with things and how you have to cope with the trauma of, of difficult things is very human to me and non, non heroic, non ideal, but also mm -hmm. very close to how you would have to deal with things in real life. That, uh, in the case of a pandemic, like we're seeing right now, uh, normal average people are having to do their best to deal with that surprise and that complication as it comes. And so, having a project where I get to work with characters that, uh, that feel like the people that you ride with on the bus or see at the supermarket or, you know, game with around the table, as opposed to idealized and super heroic versions of them was very exciting for me. Cause that's what I wanted to pick. I want to draw pictures of people that when you see them in the, uh, in the game art, you're like, Oh, he probably doesn't know this, but that looks exactly like my friend blank from, you know, from work or, uh, mm. I've, I've known this person for years and that's exactly how they dress and holy crap, they're, you know, that's not them in the game, but that's them in the game. And I feel like that gives you more of a feeling that even though things are, are difficult or you have to cope with things to get past difficult humps that seeing people that look like you do that or seeing people that look like the people you know do that uh is so much more empowering and interesting than just uh seeing someone who looks like they were built in a lab to take <laughs> supernatural forces do that because of course they're going to yeah, that's oh, no, great. No, that's great. I, I feel you there. It's the idea that, especially I've seen some of the art and there will be absolute links in the show notes. So if it re-reference anything, you guys go there, look at it. It'll take you to pretty much the Facebook page. You'll see the art. And I, I feel you because I like the idea of like a very human story. And I hate to draw, again, parallels to the world of darkness, but in the world of darkness, you typically don't play a normal person. Um, with the art and everything is like, no, you are relatively a normal person. There are something going on with you, but you, in the day you eat, you sleep, you do all the human stuff and therefore you have to deal with all the human psychology of it. Um, and I, I totally get that. And I really like how that art conveys it that I've seen so far. Also, it looks rad. Like there's just some rad art in there. That, that was Lucas's name. And it, the name is the 21st Centurion. And yeah. I, 
absolutely love it. I, I also, um, there's some art uh, that has yet to be shown uh, publicly. We've got some more in reserve. And one of the things that I very specifically appreciate about Lucas's art style is that um, I didn't give him any real direction about what I wanted the people to look like. I was focused on kind of what the monsters look like. And uh, Lucas has kicked me back art that uh, doesn't just have, ju- does not just have white dudes in it. It's, <laughs> It's very diverse cast of, of characters that he's developed um, to the point that there are a couple of the characters that he's developed that I, I see potentially becoming canon NPCs at some point. That's pretty boss. Yeah. So uh, speaking of, so the human art, obviously very cool to have that very grounded and realistic, uh, but the monster art is particularly very detailed and expiring. What, what, what's your process for, for making the, the things that go bump? Oh, thank you. Um, that's another place where um, it's great getting to work with James and Jim because they give me some great inspiring blocks of text, but it's it's loose enough where it gives me a lot of room to interpret. And if I go even further off the path so far when I've given them stuff that uh, I just get a wild hair and go, all right, I, I see what this would look like if anyone else drew it. I want to play in a different playground and I toss it back to them. Um, their reaction has tended to be, oh, yeah, that art is fantastic. We wrote it wrong. We're going to go back and uh, <laughs> and make the writing fit this because we can do that. And and this this looks like our game. This feels like our game. Uh, we're going to do that. My my feel is that I I never want a monster that uh, you don't understand what they want when you look at them. Um, Interesting. I, I think that's an easy thing to do when you're drawing cool horror stuff um and i don't fault it i like looking at cool horror stuff and cool art in general that is cool for cool's sake um but like when i see uh cthulhu rising out of uh, the the depths um waggling its face tentacles at you um i don't know what it wants from looking at that i know that it's cool and it's terrifying but uh, i'm not sure why it's rising dramatically out of the water where um I was given a description of a uh, wolf made out of writhing vines that had uh, gems for eyes and was standing in the rain outside of a, a schoolhouse as, uh, as a description. And after I you know, momentarily cursed having to draw something made out of vines uh, by hand, <laughs> um, I kind of sat in and thought, all right, this is, this is kind of a melancholy scene. This is something that uh, is very much built to grow and to uh, um, is is in uh, its vines and it's in the rain so it's feeding itself off of that in some way there's there's something that it wants in this so it's not coming snarling at you Uh, I wanted it to be beckoning to you uh, looking for you to come to it to to give it something that it needs that it's it's not just leaping out of the shadows. It, it is terrifying and it is large, but it wants something from you. And it's, it's telling you that without words. Um, and each of my other ones, there's a, uh, a figure called pneumonia who is, um, and I never checked the pronunciation on that. I'm pneumonia. <laughs> pneumonia. Pneumonia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she is, uh, and she is probably the wrong pronoun because it's a, a a figure that exists outside of the dimensions that we can see and can, can control time. Um, 
And I liked the idea of someone in a world where time is broken and time is winding down um, that has control over that to represent that and to be collecting broken strands of time that they care about and want to uh, want to touch and revisit and worry over in their hands um, and to have a sense of, um, of ritual over that collection so that this figure is, is frightening but also lovely in some mm. ways and you know comforting despite being broken and terrifying um like one of my good friends that i show my work to says i mean they're nightmarish but i want to hug them <laughs> uh, and i i want that feeling of yeah you you'll connect to these these monsters in a way where you know that fighting them might be necessary and it might even be the the thing that you have to do but there's going to be something in you that wants to wants to help them wants to do something for them um and you might even get that chance and it, if you do things might go in a really bad direction for you ultimately because what they want might not mm -hmm. be what you want but they want you, something. you want you want the art to sort of invoke a measure of sympathy um, oh yeah as much as possible yeah, the idea of that this is this is something brutal and terrifying but it's also something that you can kind of understand like yeah. there's some part of you that understands it and again it's a reflection of your sort of your inner demons your inner issues writ large coming out and you having to confront them and deal with them which is also what i find very interesting about the midnight world because it is about struggling against uh sort of metaphors in some respects um but i'd like to hop over to jim and james and say because i think you two were the sort of the original brainchild for this idea right yeah so how did that begin take us through the origins of the midnight world uh well it, it started with a with a hunter game that james played so i'll let him tell that part of the story because uh, he tells it better than i would <laughs> all right tag demon do it uh so i guess about uh maybe five years ago or so uh i had been back from uh jim and i are both combat veterans uh, i had been back from Iraq for uh, a couple of years, a few years by that point. And I was trying to run a Hunter the Vigil game. It's actually a, a World of Darkness 2.0 Mortals game that, that led into a Hunter the Vigil game. And I really wanted to give it like a horror vibe. Um, and I really wanted there to be, I wanted all of the characters in the game to have PTSD and anxiety because I kind of wanted to demonstrate to my players what it's like to live in that cycle and for anybody out there who's who's got these these comorbidities they know what i'm talking about when i say that basically um the day starts with me you know thinking oh man i sure hope i don't mess anything up today and then the first time i do mess something up i get more anxious about the possibility that i will mess something up which causes me to mess a second thing up which makes me more anxious and by the end of the day i'm a mess and i'm just i'm 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 barely capable of of function of course that's not every day but th there are days where that is the case with sufferers of generalized anxiety or ptsd or depression or, or any of those sorts of illnesses and i really wanted that to be the central thesis of this hunter the vigil game um and as I started trying to develop how that would work, I realized that, that I, there wasn't a good answer for it. So Jim and I sat down, we started workshopping it. And Jim sort of had this brilliant idea 
um, I, I think I had a pretty brilliant idea of how to introduce the anxiety mechanic, but then Jim just <laughs> blew me out of the water with the way that we would track that mechanic. And after, you know, I guess four or five hours of sitting down with a pencil and paper, we realized that we couldn't, you know, this was originally going to be a mod for Hunter, the vigil. And we realized we couldn't do that anymore, that we had built a whole game that needed to mm-hmm. be built from the ground up. And then I'll, I'll let Jim so move in on his portion. What he, like what he said uh, about the cycle of anxiety, we really wanted to capture in a mechanic the way that that anxiety just mounts and mounts and mounts until it gets to like a, a sort of a breaking point. You, you just kind of power through it, but you're aware that there's going to be consequences for that later. Uh, <clears throat> so what we did is, is we established the clock mechanic. So you've got seconds, minutes, and hours, uh, and hours are effectively your character progression. Minutes are, are, are like a sliding scale of a resource that both feed into character proge- progression and mitigate, uh, to progressing too quickly. And then seconds, like anybody who plays white wolf games, uh, with like willpower or like edge and shadow run, those are, uh, the seconds are, are a resource mm-hmm. like that. And when we structured it into this clock, it it seemed perfect because it's constantly revolving and then it resets when it makes a revolution. But as a result of that reset, something still goes forward. So uh, we, mm-hmm. we once we nailed that, that clock design, uh, we were able to tie those extra dice that get thrown into the pool to screw things up uh, when those get added in, uh, we can do it by increments of the clock as it goes up and, and everything, everything just kind of stemmed from there. We were able to use that clock to really build on everything from, from the dread contracts to the, uh, character progression. And then when James came up with the, with the memory generator, because we wanted every character's backstory to generate from a memory, once he created the tables mm-hmm. and, and we got together and created that memory generator, it was like, that's, that's when the snowball hit like that point where it just grew too big for us to stop. And we, we just kind of got swept mm-hmm. along with it. And so as you might expect, after we realized that we had something really, you know, new and original and interesting, we immediately got to work on developing <laughs> it three years later. No, no. I, <laughs> I totally get that, man. I mean, there are ideas that just have to bake and bake and bake and life gets in the way too. So the uh, nothing but sympathy from me on all of that. So you, you talked about sort of the, the, the overall, like the root mechanics where you've got the clock and the clock's always going towards midnight, which I love, by the way, I absolutely adore it because of the idea of, because, well, my generation didn't wake didn't live through like the threat of nuclear Holocaust as much as some other people. I always knew about that trope of the idea of it's the, 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 the clock always going towards midnight. You're always a minute away from it or a couple minutes away from it. And it's just the idea of like this, this mounting pressure that you can visually see in front of you on the character sheet. Cause I did play it with you guys and just the idea of, Oh, I know something's going to happen when this revolves around. I don't know what will happen, but something will happen. It could be really good, and it could also be really bad because of, of just the thematic of the story. We believe it or not, uh, this is it's, it's honestly it's become just a point of silliness at this point um, because the book uh, will be you know 
uh, a certain certain levels of backers will have the manuscript in their hand in the next uh, 60 days but we have made a point of not telling anyone what happens when your character hits midnight and the reason for that partially is because we have loved hearing what people think might happen. <laughs> um, yep. The only thing that we will say is that something happens when your clock, when your hour hand reaches midnight, and it is not so reductive as uh, if you've played Call of Cthulhu and your sanity hits zero, you're too crazy to be to be in play anymore, and you ask your ST or your lore keeper, hey, what does that mean I'm too crazy? And he's like, I don't fuck, you're too crazy, whatever, make a new character. We felt like that was really disrespectful and reductive to people with mental health disorders uh so what we will tell you is that the hour hand is not reflective of your mental health but when it hits midnight it is a crisis for you and anybody standing within a certain uh radius of you um <laughs> maybe like 12 feet or something like that uh, a number of feet a non-zero number of feet a non-zero number of feet possibly the entire hemisphere you're standing in depending and we're gonna oh, we're gonna boy. give a lot of leeway to the storytellers <laughs> there's gonna be a baseline yeah. this is pretty much what happens but i mean as with most everything in the midnight world uh anything we write in that book is going to take a backseat to the story our players want to tell oh yeah oh absolutely i get i get it because you're like oh who knows what happens and i'm like a, a thousand different scenarios go off in my head i am i am sympathetic to the idea i had one uh, one podcast interviewer actually asked me well if an entire party were to hit midnight at the same time or in the same you know few seconds do you think that would constitute a cataclysm like an end of the world cataclysm and i'm like i am sympathetic to that argument yes absolutely <laughs> if you wish it to be i'm, I'm going to put my my quarter down on the table and say that when your clock hits midnight uh you your eyes snap open and you realize that you're sitting around a table with a bunch <laughs> of your friends playing a game that is uh that is not it but that is interesting <laughs> i like that idea <laughs> that there's some variation in there that we could totally do yeah uh, i'd like to put my quarter down that i think your clock goes over it resets to zero and you're playing an entirely different game at that point uh i will say that that isn't it but it is it, it is Eerily close to what happens, yes. Ah, yeah. And so, really, Scott, what we have to do now is play 20 <laughs> questions with these guys until we just have just cornered it in. We, we have a ton of um, playtesting to do on in-game content because so far we've done about 600 hours of playtesting, and it's really been between... Um, between 1 p.m., which is where everybody starts, and 7 p.m., we have not. We've only done one high-level uh, or high-hour game test. We're going to need to do a bunch. So, hey, man, kick on, do our do our high-level test, and hit midnight for yourself, and find out. No, I'm, I'm interested. I think we may. We'll talk to Simulacra Studios over there and see what we can we can arrange. We'd love to do it. We can certainly yeah. make that happen. Because I, I because another thing, audience members, if you didn't hear about the last time we talked about the Midnight World. What's also very interesting is um, your powers and ability and character creation are based on this clock. You don't really get XP. You don't get things. Your clock has to get bigger. It has to get up, go up and up and up in order to gain abilities, both supernatural and mundane, for your character. So, you, yeah, you can play the character that wants to be powerful. Totally can do that. But you're you're having to push your limits. You're having to get yourself up and up and up. And you are going to have to deal with consequences of doing that because 
something that we experienced a little bit at the very end of the play test that we did, the, the actual play is at the higher end of these numbers, the mid range, you there, you have actual supernatural powers and they're having consequences on your ability because part of what uh, James explained was part of your trauma, part of your life, you've encountered things before that were supernatural and that has affected you. Yeah. And with the, with the hour hand, uh, as it goes up, yeah, your, your entire power base. I mean, if you, if you think sort of, if, if you've played changeling the lost and you think of clarity and how the lower a person's clarity gets, the more bizarre and, and, and otherworldly they become, it's, it's a similar concept with the hour hand, with the exception that you also, your entire, you, you like you said, you don't get XP all of your power is based on how out of touch with reality you have become or, or more appropriately, how in touch with multi-reality you've become because the midnight world is set in a multiverse and the hour hand basically tracks how in tune in frequency you are with the vibrations of the entire multiverse. So it has obviously, you know, very good uh, uh, qualities as you go up, you know, your, your seven o'clock contracts are, uh, seven o'clock. You can get uh, so there's every odd hour you get a new contract. You only get one per hour, so you're not going to have somebody with 50 powers on their sheets. But that means that functionally speaking, you get five powers. The third one I would think would be in line with a advanced level discipline or a level five gift. That's how powerful they are, and they go up like a level six spell, yep. like in yeah, D&D yeah. terms. Yeah, you get up to things like 11th hour contracts and they are world changing. Uh, you know, the, 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 imagine them as level seven or eight sphere powers from mage. Um, but you can only do it like one time because your powers, your hour hand, the, those powers that are based off of your hour hand are powered by your minute hand. Mm-hmm. And once your minute hand makes a revolution to 12, your hour goes up. Well, cool. You've got an 11th hour contract. You've got five minutes on your clock. Are you going to blow it and find out what happens or? Yeah. Hey. Who knows? Eh. It's like the, it's like the GM just handing you this golden shovel. It's like, yeah, you want it. Here but there's so, like one of the powers that we've already got in the book for 11th hour contracts uh, is retcon. And basically with retcon, what you do is you walk in and the, 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 the character, the player who's going to blow retcon decides, you know, they can wait until the end of the scene to see how it goes, or they can blow it at the beginning of the scene and just narrate the scene. And mm-hmm. it could be a boss fight. No, we, I'm going to narrate that this is what happens in this boss fight because I blew my 11th hour contract and I rewrote time. Um, so that level of power, but, you know, all power comes with consequence in our game. So um, I, I have a question because, um, uh, through the playtest, uh, minutes and, and whatnot go up, um, can go up when you're exposed to weirder and weirder shit. Um, does that track through the whole uh, cycle of play, or do you reach a point where you're kind of sort of inured to the weirdness of the world, and it's your own action that pushes you into um, the badness? Uh, so as you go up, less and less stuff can cause you to gain minutes. Like if you're a seven o'clock, uh, if you're a seven o'clock character, seeing a dismembered corpse isn't going to affect you at all. Um, 
but one of the things that we very staunchly kept in the game is that exposure to your trauma trigger will always cause your minutes to go up because it doesn't matter if you're an otherworldly entity or not. That thing that scared the absolute hell out of you when you were seven years old is still that thing that scared the hell out of you when you were seven years old. And actually, as you go up in, uh, in hours, we have another mechanic you guys will recall called solace triggers, which are oh, like, yeah. they're like trauma triggers. Trauma triggers cause minutes to gain and solace triggers is something your character engages in to cause minutes to, to go away. Mm -hmm. um, as you go up in hours past a certain point, you lose all of your solace triggers. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I can see that also. Um, and there's a couple, a couple of sides to this. A, um, when you gain minutes, your minutes can never lower your hours. So once you hit a certain hour, as far as I understand this, is that correct, James? That's correct. Cool. Um, also when James is referring to the concept of your triggers, he's doing that from the purely actual psychological term because the idea is you have these actual triggers, these things that call are linked to trauma that will actually affect your character. Yeah, and, and Jim and I actually spoke at length about whether or not we were going to call them triggers. And for a while, we thought that we would not use that term. But in the end, what we realized, we both actually have PTSD. Um, and we did not feel like it was fair to allow jerks on the internet to co-opt a psychologically important term to us. Uh, so uh, we I actually... In, in our quick start guide, there's a line in the, in the trauma trigger sidebar, the, the final line that said, if you're the kind of person who thinks that calling someone trigger is, is funny, dot, 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 fucking stop it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fuck those guys. Yeah. The midnight world is extremely interesting. Um, what are some other cool tidbits you want to talk about, man? This, this, there's so much here that we could just dive into. So feel free. Shoot us. I'm gonna let Jim go. Um, one of the things I, I really actually was thinking of earlier is uh, when you guys were talking about doing scheduling another actual mm -hmm. play. Uh, one of the things that I would really like to kind of start exploring more, like with our lore spotlights and things like that, is we have um, we have dread contract themes. So think of them similarly to how like mage had mm -hmm. spheres and vampire has disciplines. D and D has spells. Uh, we, we have contracts and, and those are the supernatural powers that your, your characters will start to accrue as they progress through their stories. Uh, and, and one of the things I'd really like to do uh, in, in the coming weeks is, is start doing lore spotlights but not so much on on characters and and uh figures in the lore but also kind of explore those power sets too because i i think uh because the power sets stem from dread beams the they they are similar to divine domains in D D, where the divine domain directly relates to the deity that provides that Correct. ability uh they, they they are somewhat similar to that where they where the dread being has a power set that is somewhat associated with them or it taps into their being uh, to, to pull those results and those powers. Uh, and, and I, I think there's a lot of potential for some really cool uh, little tidbits and snippets and, and lore and stuff that, that we can drop for people if we start uh, exploring those as well. And, and, and dread contracts are not a thing that we've really promoted and, and put out there. So it's an untapped well. 
so I'm just going to go ahead and ask it then. Uh, all, all three of you, since you've all probably looked at this content, what's your favorite uh, Dread Contract theme? What, what, what grouping do you like the most? Well, I brought it up, so you go first, James. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to say I want to see if Lucas has an answer to that question because I, 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 you, you know the artistic themes, so I think you actually have a fair idea of what the contract themes look like as well. What is your favorite piece of art that you've drawn, theme-wise? Uh, I'm trying to figure out if I understand the question. <laughs> Second, uh, so I know one of the uh, one of the power images that I dealt with uh, seemed derived from um, uh, a, well, the, the cult of Sol Invictus kind of, kind of side of things and uh, uh, pulling sun powers and things relating to the sun out of, uh, out of their own body to use as, as a power. Um, so that was one visually where I got to play with uh, how, uh, how solar flares arc off of the sun when when those occur um, and have that kind of uh, flesh and and palm and um, just clusters of veins near the uh, the wrist joint of the hand um, acting like like conduits to that and um, ballooning out this uh, the superheated gas that's coming out in a in a circular arc as opposed to like a Hadouken kind of thing um <laughs> less less controlled more primal um moral whip like yeah um in a way that would definitely be be terrifying both to the wielder who's not experienced this themselves uh and doesn't expect this kind of uncontrolled kind of kind of thing as well as seeing that it is still very effective and that was very interesting to me uh, i have seen some of the um kind of choosing to peer across several dimensions of uh causality at the same time um to to see these other worlds some of them very dead and some of them very alive and uh, all of them with uh, a version of you and a version of this situation playing out in in different ways uh, until you find what you would like to have happen, and um, that in doing that, you're also potentially seeing these horrifying beings, the dread beings, in you know catching glimpses of them uh, where you normally would never be able to in their various versions and are kind of opening yourself up both to something that can be very helpful but also something that is um, terrifyingly maddening uh, in including mm -hmm. seeing yourself go through all sorts of horrible things in various uh, versions so I, I do love that these are things that are um, that have real cost um, whenever there's real power it's not just real responsibility it's uh, you're putting a lot on 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 the downside of the weight to get that lever to move and that's interesting yeah it's, it sounds like at least for your first description sounds like like sacrifice is is kind of a theme like the 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 the, the degradation of the self towards the, some benefit um, may not be necessarily for others benefit but it could be just the idea that you have to give up 
something of yourself in order yeah. to I mean, achieve I'll, a I'm goal. always going to think about it visually when I'm working um, as, as being like, okay. um, you know, if you fire a rifle for the first time and are just expecting the power of, of shooting a gun, um, you're not expecting the kickback. You're not expecting the noise. You're not expecting um, your, your aim to be, be anything other than perfect because you haven't done it before and you come away with a very sore shoulder and your ears ringing for hours, uh, that mm -hmm. kind of thing that, and even if you get used to it, if, if you're unprepared in that first moment, you're going to be afraid to use it again. Um, and that feels to me like written on a mythological scale, what I want to make sure I'm conveying in my artwork for, for any of those kinds of things is that, Oh yeah, you can use this. You don't understand quite what you're doing, and it is going to take a certain amount of toll. Yeah. So when when you were describing the the sun powers, like I couldn't I couldn't keep the image of like snorting lines of vitamin D to fuel fuel your superpower. That's great. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But um. Also, uh, question to you guys, James, Jim, dread theme domains. Which ones do you like? Um, so one of the things that, that I really like about the dread, uh, the dread themes is that they you don't have to take them. Uh, we 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 set powers together because we will include with the book uh, a number of dread beings. Um, dread beings are these these mega powerful extra planar entities, um, and each one of them has a theme associated with them. But your your characters, your players can choose however you know they, they can choose however they want to they don't have to choose from this list um but i think that my favorite one of the themes that we've developed so far um man i i really like a couple of them a lot um probably molecular uh control is my favorite because it's just so bizarre it's uh it's it's the ability to to functionally reach into the subatomic structure of, of a thing and flip switches. So, you know, one of the early powers is you, you very, uh, almost, uh, almost subconsciously without thinking about it can, um, can slow down the molecular frequency of a thing to freeze it. Right. Well, what we realized when we were talking, you know, we were thinking, we were trying to figure out how do we, we include all these powers. And you, you see every game ever has fire and ice as two separate power sets, but we realized they're the same power set. Right. Well, you know, there's a later molecular control mm -hmm. power that is excite that you go in and you speed up the molecular frequency. And so it bursts into flames. And that's those are the, like those are the ones that kind of make sense. Mm -hmm. And then you start to go up in hours and then you're like, oh, but I can also do things like break off the outer covalent, covalent bond of an atom and turn it into an entirely different ion. And what can I do with that? How does that affect the world around me? Uh, and that, absolutely you could do that, or you could make a whole series of things not radioactive. Um, yep. And then you, you finally- Well, that's some Dr. Manhattan level shit. Absolutely. Yeah, I was about to say, that's the Dr. Manhattan power right there. Yeah, the, uh, the final, the 11 o'clock contract for that one, which is still in its in its its initial pass phase, we'll have to see it in play to see if it works, is molecular cacophony. And what you do is basically anything that you can see, uh, you just break it down on a subatomic level. 
and you turn you I mean you can do whatever you want to it you can just make it dissolve sort of uh in-game style you know and and ash off into the ether but you could also make several component molecules burst into flames and other ones freeze and other ones stop and another one like you could do anything you wanted to it that ultimately results in its destruction you can't be like well i want it to be okay no there's nothing about this power that is okay but i like just that the 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 11th hour player gets to decide and gets to come up with some really cool answers to what that power can do like we're, we, we have to get out of this spaceship right now or the world is going to end and I have molecular cacophony. Can I open up a portion of the ship by making it not exist but turn those molecules into functionally a vacuum-sealed barrier that gets us down to a different place? <laughs> I would hear that argument, sure. So I think, yeah, molecular cacophony is probably my favorite one. What about you, Jim? Uh Probably the one that I think that would be the most fun to play for me right now as as it stands is the void theme, uh, which is like the the depth of the abyss. Like it, you're, you're tapping into the very thing that makes dread beings dread beings. Yeah. It's uh, you're basically drawing on the power of dead universes. So uh, you have things like. Uh, eyes of dusk which is the the one o'clock power where you can anything that has uh a dread being's influence on it whether it knows it or not you you can detect that it's like it's like an aura perception that shows you when something has been touched by a dread being or by their power uh and then you get uh you get things that can like impose distress dice on enemies which is very very rare uh, which is which is a cool power, and then their their later powers just get bonkers. Like you you are you you really just start messing with reality. That that's that sounds a lot like the 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 meta magic like sphere, the meta magic sort of style of play, where it's like, yeah, I don't deal with one particular thing really well. What I do is I look at like the underpinning of how it all gets put together, mm-hmm. so that I can make it work. Or unwork, if you, however you want to do it. And just to reiterate what James was saying earlier, what, what I think is, is really cool about our system is, let's say at 1 o'clock you, you start with a um, molecular control power. And then you get to 3 o'clock and you're like, oh, but that 3 o'clock void power looks really cool. There's nothing that says you can't take it. Like you don't have to right. stick to a theme and themes don't have prerequisites for later powers. Right. Just the hour is like the prerequisite. The hours. You get, you yep. get one power per hour. Uh, and uh, but it, it's per odd, yeah, per hour. odd hour, yeah, per odd hour. <laughs> um, but you don't uh, you don't have to worry about prerequisites or, or or builds or anything like that. You just make the character you want. No, make. it's very cool. I mean, yeah, yeah you we you you should absolutely worry about your build, the build that you're going for. And that's one of the, the big things that we're going to need to do uh, some testing passes on because I I have seen some builds that right now the current iterations of these powers that i look at and i'm like oh that's gonna that's that's overpowered as hell because that did just the nine o'clock power and the five o'clock power interact in a really stupid way um so we're still you know we're still um several months out from having the completed manuscript with the completed powers but right so i have a question uh and this, this kind of goes out to all of you so let's say you, uh, you know, you, you've got the game, it's pretty much in its complete form, and you're sitting down uh, with your ideal table to run a campaign of Midnight World. What's the pitch for that campaign? 
let, let each of you answer that. I'll let Jim start this one because I already know this one. So, like, what, what would the what would the story of my campaign be? Yeah, what's the story of your campaign? Uh, so, I'm I'm actually currently writing one that I it has it started as a silly little thing that that uh, James and I did together on a on a little writing retreat that we did, uh, where I just kind of pulled something out of my ass and and ran it just to test some of the mechanics. But then I started thinking about that story, and I'm a, probably about eighty to eighty five percent done with putting it together in a module of this thing called the corporate retreat. Oh, where boy. it's it's one of those campouts that you know white collar businesses send their employees to, where they go out into the woods and do team building exercises and stuff like that, and it's stupid and it's cheesy and everybody hates being there. Uh, and then uh, surprise monsters. I'm done with that. I love me from corporate <laughs> I actually want Lucas to answer it next. Lucas, if you were going to run a, a campaign, what would you run? I think some of what. I get excited about with this that I'd like to see played out just out of curiosity is uh, the multidimensional interaction aspect. So I think I would love to see a game played where everyone was the same character um, from across different dimensions. Oh, oh, that's oh, that's cool. shit! That is cool. <laughs> that's fucking okay. Sad. You just you just blew my mind. That's amazing. We're doing that. Yeah, they're trying to solve the same problem, but uh, interacting across dimensions um, at the same time. That would be real interesting to me to see. Dude, we're the writers. You're making us look bad. <laughs> that has never occurred to me, and I'm doing it. <laughs> I love that. Man, that session zero is very important. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you definitely have to have a, a well-meshed group. All right, James, you got to follow that up, man. You got to blow his mind. Uh, so the good news is that if you are one of our 150 backers, um, $150, you'll get not only a PDF of the, the book, not only two hardcover copies of the book, not only a playtester credit in the book and all of the playtesting materials, but you'll get access to the exact question that you just asked because I've already written a campaign setting for the game. The campaign setting that I've written is The Black. The Black is a story mm -hmm. that starts... With, uh, it starts in uh, 2073 with a crew of climatologists and oceanographers that have found a new deepest point of the ocean, a heretofore unknown uh, abyssal shelf that actually goes down in the, in, the, uh, in the Arctic Ocean near where the Litka Deep is. It goes all the way down to 38,000 feet and uh, some scientists believe that it is the source of the Arctic Ping and you and your table mates have uh, are scientists and cooks and whoever else is there to man this station. The station is built so that it, it goes down. It basically has six large metal legs, almost like a, a big crab, and it walks down this shelf a little bit at a time until it reaches that 38,000-foot depth so you can find out what wonderful and definitely not terrible secrets of the void exist down at that level. And uh, that, that uh, will have some extra art by Lucas Ryan in it. It will have uh, five to eight sessions planned in the packet itself uh, and it will be a separate pdf yeah, that's what's about to ask is that, that later down the road other people can get it get access to it um so we've had a bunch of people like a dozen people ask 
how they could get their hands on that without being $150. So we understand $150 is a, yeah, it's a pretty steep um, ask. Uh, so it will not be available immediately. Um, you know, you're basically for that extra money, you're paying for getting it ASAP. Uh, but if, if, if you don't back it at $150, um, the black will be available as a PDF that you can get off of drive-through uh, closer, right around the time that the actual game is launched. You'll have to pay for mm -hmm. it separately, um, and we don't plan on doing a hard copy version of it, uh, but it'll be available for you to get off of drive-through. That sounds awesome because that sounds really neat. That's to be something I may want to run. Like that sounds cool. We've also got uh, a couple um, of, of 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 campaign settings prepared where we don't write the campaign for you, but I mean you guys know what a campaign setting is, but we have if oh, we yeah, can absolutely. if we can hit that 30 we have, we have had more people express interest in the $30,000 stretch goal than anything else. If we could just get there, uh, we're going to write Midnight in Appalachia, which is going to be a setting guide for the entire Smoky Mountain region. <laughs> Which is awesome. Nice. Well, you hear that, uh, listener to Polyhedron. If you haven't backed the Midnight World yet, go back it. Do it. I've already done it. Scott's already done it. We've already done Fucking it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Fucking do it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You guys, this has been great. Thank you very much for uh, coming on and talking to us about the Midnight World. Is there anything you'd like to talk about from the Midnight World that we have not talked about yet? Something you want? To yeah, I got. I got something I want to, I want to touch on. Cause this was another thing that we kind of came to a decision to that I thought was particularly inspired. Um, when, when we ran our play test at gigabytes mm -hmm. up in Marietta, one of the things I opened with uh, to, to kind of explain the structure of the game was how many people sitting at the, there were, first of all, there were nine people, nine people showed up. Uh, we had seats for six. So I just, I, I, I cranked up my distress pool and, and ran for nine people. Um, but w at the beginning of the game, I asked everybody, I said, uh, what of everyone here who has ever started a role-playing game doesn't have to be Dungeons and Dragons, just any role-playing game, vampire, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, any of them. How many have started a game that petered out after a month or two, just because people couldn't stick with it uh, for whatever reason. And every hand at that table went in the air. So, what what James and I have done with our with the way we've structured like the the recommended way to tell the story and the the way the mechanics best support is think of it like a horror anthology or or like a series like right. American Horror Story or or you know something like that where you break it into seasons and episodes so each game session that you play is an episode and then you you have eight to ten or whatever number you want uh, eight to ten episodes in a season uh and then at the end of that season one or more players should be hitting midnight and ending that season and then you carry your same meta narrative to season two with a new mm -hmm. cast of characters so you all generate new characters you you start over and then characters that may or may not have survived season one may may appear as npcs in season two or may show up as villains in season two. You know, you never know. Like, uh, but but the way we've structured that is what it does is it allows people to tell a large spanning narrative, like the meta plot of a of a television series, uh, while still having small self-contained stories that still feel satisfying that don't require three, four, five months to come to a conclusion. 
Oh yeah, I, I totally get you. That sounds, yeah, that's really rad. That's really sounds good. Dope. Yeah, and especially from the mechanical side of what I've experienced when we were playing, that definitely started how I feel like I could run that character maybe five or six sessions, maybe a few more, and be completely done with the character. He hit midnight. He moved on, or even if he didn't hit midnight, he's done, and I want to go play something else. Yeah, and and because we have so much variety, that what that also does is it is it lets you try different characters and builds and stuff. Because like yeah. in D D, if you play you play an arcane trickster rogue, you're stuck with that arcane trickster rogue until it dies or you hit level. 20. Yeah, I'm, that's what you're just about to say that it's like, hey, if you're a guy who likes to play many different characters, you have many different concepts, and you don't want to be stuck with the same person for a really long time, play the Midnight World, and you'll be able to just kind of grind through ideas and i'm sure the more you play the midnight world the more concepts you'll get like oh i know where i can fit exactly. this character in here or there or this or that and just be able to all bring it all together and just have a really cool time making this horrible soup this very fun horrible soup <laughs> <laughs> but uh james uh anything from you guys before we head on out uh, the only thing that I would uh, shout out to people is that uh, we you can find us on Facebook. Just Google or just Facebook search The Midnight World. You can find us on Twitter at The Midnight W-O-R-1. I'm, my bad. I don't know how to set up Twitter accounts. Uh, you can find us on Reddit. We are rebuilding the website right now. Like I said earlier, I built it back in like four or five months ago, and it's not very good. So we're working on rebuilding that now. Um, and in the days and weeks to come, uh, if you are a backer and you are on that uh, tier of backing where uh, you have access to playtest materials, uh, especially because of the uh, world's shutdown during this, this uncertain time, we are going to be looking at doing some Discord sessions, uh, some playtesting sessions, and I'd love to get uh, your audience, even if they're not backers, to to join us because you know then maybe they'll buy my game and that would be fun <laughs> absolutely well make sure to have a link to your discord yep. and uh we'll, we'll make that yep, right. yep yep anyone else want to plug anything before we get out of here uh, the only other thing uh we're in the talks right now um we will be at uh if you if you are at all familiar with the virtual horror con being run by the gehenna gaming guys uh it is a horror convention a horror gaming convention that is being run entirely online so that we can all because i don't know about you guys but i've already lost three conventions to this mm. uh they're doing this really cool idea they're going to be panels um jim and i are going to be running a panel about using tabletop gaming as a therapeutic tool there are other really interesting panels and we will be running uh, discord sessions of the midnight world during that it's from april 4th to 5th google uh, virtual horror convention or Gehenna gaming to find out more about that. Uh, I will look and I'll make sure to try to get a link in the show notes for everyone. I'll say, and is and I've, I've also been talking with the, the runners of that Simulacra studios will more than likely be doing something uh, as a part outstanding. Of that and if Gen Con still happens, we're going to be there as well, but who knows? Awesome. All right. Anyways, thank you guys very, very, oh, so much. Midnight World is super rad. Everyone go out, check out the Kickstarter, back it. Still got about two, two and a half weeks left. Is that right? What, 12 days. 12 days. It got 12 days. It got less than two weeks left. Okay, go out, yep. back it, get a very cool content, support indie game developers, support really rad people, and let's make, let's make good games. Let's make good games. Make good games. Scott, that was 
really fun. I had a lot of fun. No, that was a great interview. I, I, uh, they are great guys to talk to. Uh, they have a really good game. Uh, you know, I, I love hearing more and more about them. Um, I think we had some good questions. Yeah. They and they, gave, they gave us some interesting responses to, to a few of them. Uh, especially, uh, the, uh, art director Ryan's, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Lucas, well, Luke, sorry, uh-huh. Lucas's uh, response to the question of like, if you would run a game, what what would you do? And his response was, "Yeah, no, that sounds cool." Diamond. It was so good. Yeah, absolutely. That was cool. Running a game where everyone's the same character from a different multiverse. Uh, that's cool as shit. Uh, actually, something I, I didn't get to mention in the, in the interview, just a, a bit of a bit of thought that came across my head when he was talking about uh, the sort of the sympathetic monsters or the monsters that you can kind of look at and know. Uh, what they want yeah. and what they are going to do is that that very much reminded me of the Cenobites yeah. uh, from Hellraiser. Like you can take a look at the Cenobites like, oh, I know what they're about. Yeah, I've got a general idea, but there's also layers behind them if you're willing to dig into yeah, the lore of them, um, which, mm-hmm. yeah, that could be a definitely a thing you could do. That's, that. oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Pinhead is very much sort of a Dreadlord sort of situation. No, he's he's not a dread being. He's uh he's one of the emanations yes. of the dread. Yeah, beings. yeah, absolutely. Uh, the th- the things that come into our world, the big pyramid, the big big puzzle, the yeah. Leviathan. Yeah, that's the, the dread being. Leviathan and Hellraiser two that you learn. That's the dread being. Um, yeah, but mm-hmm. regardless, guys, we had a great interview. We really enjoyed it. We backed it. You should too. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I believe we, we mentioned in the interview. Uh, keep an eye out for the virtual horrorcon yeah. uh, that they're going to be a part of. Some is going to be a part of. Um, and that'll be cool. Uh, that's coming up next week as of the release yep. of this, this pod. No, not next two week. Weeks. Two um, weeks. Um, uh, man. And it, um, all the links in the show notes, there's so many links. Oh yeah, absolutely. Check those links. links. That'll be fun. But anyways, uh, unfortunately we just still don't have Ryan here, but doesn't matter from everyone here at Polyhedron. Go where you find us. Hello, everyone. Just wanted to let you all know, if you want to email us, you can at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to get in contact with us via Twitter, you can contact us at PolyhedronCast. And if you want to contact me, I am at BioImportance. If you want to get in contact with me directly, I'm at DivaSmallCav. And I'm a hermit, so just email the show, please. Also, in addition, if you really like the show and you want to support us, go to Patreon.com slash Polyhedron. Give us a buck a month. You get a lot more content, and it'll really help us out. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.